This is Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag, and I'm your host, Rick Myrup, once again coming to you from the basement. Back by popular demand, we've got John Miodashevsky here with us today. He's our environmental data scientist at Bayer. Uh, he joined us earlier this spring to give us a bit of a forecast, and based on your feedback, we wanted to bring him back to give us an update on what he's seeing coming out of spring and what he's predicting going into the growing season. Now, John's going to tell you that it's based on science. I'm going to tell you that he's got a crystal ball. We'll meet somewhere in the middle, but let's bring John into the conversation. Well, hey, John, it's it's great to have you back on with us. Uh, our listeners really enjoyed your commentary uh, as we got into spring and started talking about what was going on in the weather forecast. Uh, for those that might just be tuning into the podcast for the first time, can you go ahead and give us uh, give us your background one more time? Yeah, so I have a background as a climate scientist. Um, I was doing research for a number of years um, at Rutgers University for a while and then University of Wisconsin. But I came to Bayer a couple of years ago um, with the opportunity to get into um, research on many ways in which weather impacts what we grow and uh, how to advance this using rapidly increasing digital tools that are at our disposal. So right now I'm working to develop some models that uh, are essentially isolating the effects of the environment at our test sites. uh, So we can figure out things like um, whether a really high yielding corn hybrid performed very well at a site because of great genetics or just because the weather was really ideal at that particular location in, in that season. So John, you know, as you think about the the spring that we're going through right now, hey, it's it's been wet, but thankfully it hasn't been last year, right? So we're, we're not drowning in water like we were last year. Um, as you've kind of looked at the way the spring's progressed this year, you know, what's jumped out to you? Anything that surprised you or, or anything that, uh, that's been there of note? Yeah, I mean, the story for this spring in most areas has been a couple of um, pretty significant cold spells that I don't think I saw coming back with our last uh, recording uh, a couple of months ago. But as far as the amount of rainfall, it's actually worked out pretty well uh, in most areas. I know a lot of farmers uh, got into the fields pretty early. It was able to dry out pretty quickly. And I saw that the corn and the soybeans in almost every uh, every state were ahead of schedule to well ahead of schedule by, uh, by late May. So I don't know if people were just uh, kind of skittish about the repeat of last year and they were really trying to get in early, but uh, it's mostly worked out well. Now, these couple of cold spells that, um, that we've had this spring, one was after a very warm March and maybe first week of April, um, it really uh, went back to winter, in the, especially in the plains and, and the middle of the country. Um, so middle of April, it was a hard freeze in some places that had already um, planted and even some of these fields had already emerged. So that was... Um, a problem in spots, not real widespread. And then, of course, uh, more recently in early to mid-May, there was uh, another 
a really unusual spell of cold weather that um, uh, that was focused on the Great Lakes um, and the Ohio Valley. And um, that brought freezing temperatures through a lot of Kentucky, southern Indiana, southern Illinois, which is extremely unusual for for that time of the year. And that's an area where they had um, planted pretty early and uh, they did see a little bit of damage with um, corn, which tolerates it better than soybeans, which hadn't emerged so much. Um, but mostly other crops, like uh, I've heard that uh, wheat was more damaged than some of these other vegetable crops um, uh, and tree fruits, for example. But as far as corn, soy, the major crops um, haven't suffered too much from those two outbreaks. It has been a strange spring in in that cold weather. I, I know I know you've got a, a young child at home too during uh, during some of the social distancing this distancing that's been going on. And you know I've, I've got three upstairs. The cold weather has not really worked for me. I'm I'm gonna need it to warm up a little bit. And even apart from the agricultural impacts, you know I, I need to get these kids out of the house. Uh, it's it's good for my sanity. It's good for my wife's sanity, as I'm sure it is for many of our listeners who you know would like to see folks uh, be able to spend some time outdoors uh, along with the indoors. But, you know, as, as you think about that, John, and, and some of those early impacts that we see from uh, a little bit of cold weather early in the season, just after emergence, uh, just after planting, what do we need to be thinking about early in season then around the weather? Uh, are there things that we should be, be hoping for or things that we should be rooting against uh, following a bit of a cold snap like that so early in the season? Well, not really. The, whatever damage is done has been done. Going forward, it um, you know it would it would certainly help to get the temperatures out of the fifties and sixties and and into the seventies, uh, eighties um, to keep warming the soil up in in uh, the northern parts of the region and and then to get um, just get the crops growing. Um, beyond that, they obviously prefer seventies, eighties. And that's not going to be a problem going forward, getting into June. Um, it would have to be really a, a quite a cool June in order for for us to see uh, kind of continued um, lasting damage from this. But we're not going to see another freeze um, this late in the season. I mean, that's pretty much as cold as it can get in mid-May. Um, so going forward, I think what we want to see is just uh, typical June temperatures, not real hot, but it's not usually real hot in most places in June. The next risk would just be a, a very hot um, summer. As far as precipitation, I think we're in pretty good shape because um, we made it through a pretty wet spring. Most people got um, got the, the seeds in the ground. Uh, unless it needs to be replanted at this point, which has been the case, especially further east, like Ohio, um, Michigan might, uh, after some of the recent rains. Um, it's setting up to be uh, in pretty good shape drought-wise for the summer. So, I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where uh, you're always already dealing with drought conditions in, in May and June. And fortunately, this year we're in good shape, except... Uh, only exception is maybe western Kansas, eastern Colorado, which uh, some parts of that uh, that area are actually a uh, fairly severe drought already. But aside from that, uh, really very low on the drought scale um, uh, east of the Rockies. All right, John, I, I need you to go ahead. 
you're, you're going to tell me that it's science and it's, it's all this education that you have that helps you to understand these weather patterns and start to predict what comes forward. We know what we'd like to happen as we get into the growing season here, but from uh, from what you've observed so far, from what the data is telling you and from what, what the, the, the crystal ball is telling you, what, what do you expect to see uh, as we move forward into growing season here across the Midwest? Well, yeah, unfortunately, uh, if I just went from the science side, uh, I get kind of conflicting signals for the uh, a Midwestern summer, uh, the temperature and precipitation. Um, so there's, there's already not a whole lot that we have to go by when we're talking about a seasonal forecast for the summer, which... Uh, it's probably the least predictable of seasons. Uh, usually we like to look at El Nino, but this year it's um, pretty neutral conditions. It's a little bit of a weak El Nino right now. It might um, fade into a, a weak La Nina, but neither of those phases uh, in their weak state is really going to be much of a predictor um, for Midwest temperature and, and precipitation in the summer. So uh, there's some other things that we look at, like um, even these soil moisture, uh, the high soil moisture that is still around, was been around for over a year now and, and uh, was part of my forecast last year. That's still a factor. Um, so with the increased soil moisture, it tends to be um, a little bit cooler, uh, especially in the upper Midwest where it's most pronounced. Uh, it, it does tend to feed back and produce a little bit higher chance of precipitation um, during the summer months, uh, during the spring and the summer. So that's um, the outlook for, for especially for June, um, but possibly further into the summer is a little bit wetter than normal, although there's nothing that looks like it's going to be um, just a complete washout anywhere. Um, so not necessarily a bad thing. Um, a little bit on the cool side would not be a bad thing, even after some of our uh, our very cold weather the last couple of months. Let me ask you this: we we talked last time about that uh, that above average soil moisture that that we've been dealing with coming off of last spring, and it stayed wet. It's been wet this spring as well. Uh, let me ask you this: I mean, it, you're thinking that there's probably some some additional precipitation in store for us here. Temperatures have been a little bit nor or uh, lower than normal. Um, with that that soil moisture also being high, does that put us at, at risk for greater threat of of fungus development? Uh, especially as we start to think about crops like soybeans, once canopy develops and you've got that soil moisture still high, you've got high moisture in the air, and the te- and the temperatures aren't as high to dry things out. Does that does that increase the risk? Do do we need to be paying more attention to potential uh, disease damage? Yeah, potentially. Um, certainly, funguses can um, can be worse with high soil moisture, high um, uh, rainfall, and increased humidity. Um, and yeah, funguses root diseases with both soybeans and and corn, especially early in the season. They tend to um, uh, kind of make themselves known, um, but. It depends on a variety of, of factors and, and what's already out there in the fields. Um, uh, but it's something that I would uh, keep a closer eye on uh, with uh, with fields that are already wet and that are forecast to continue to be wet. Any particular areas that, uh, that you'd kind of point out and say, hey, if you're in these particular geographies or regions, keep a close eye on it in case you need to do some sort of a fungicide application? 
it has been drying out a, a bit more in the Corn Belt and in the upper Midwest. And some of those concerns are not as much as they were earlier in the spring. Um, the wet weather and the higher soil moisture um, departures have persisted in the southeast, especially the lower Mississippi Valley and, and also in the Ohio Valley. So I can't speak specifically to the prevalence of, of a fungus, but um, those are the areas where it's continued to be even wetter um, than further to the north and west. Anything else that jumps out at you as you're, uh, as you're taking a look at this spring and, and heading into the growing season with, uh, with your current forecast that you know, farmers out in the countryside need to be paying attention to or, or keeping a closer eye on than normal? Well, you know, if uh, since there isn't really a, a strong signal either way in a lot of places for uh, above or below normal temperature and precipitation, uh, it, it's just uh, it's just good to keep an eye on the uh, on the weather forecast and the long range weather forecast because um, I don't think that this summer we're going to get a really it doesn't seem like it's going to be a really hot one or a really cool one or really exceptional in any way. I just think there's too many factors tugging it in, in both directions. So it's just best to, you know, keep an eye on every week. So, you know, one of the things we got great feedback uh, when, when we talked with you last time on was was your analysis of, of some of the trends that we're seeing in weather. Um, if you think about kind of what those trends are over growing seasons for the past number of years here, yeah, what are you seeing develop in the trends around growing season, uh, going through the summer and, and heading into early fall uh, for most of the Midwest? Well, I we've seen more trends. I think early in the season, um, we've seen the opportunity to get into the fields a little earlier um, because farmers have found that the the risk of uh, a frost or a freeze has has shifted earlier um, so there isn't as much of a risk um, later in the season where there might have been a, a few decades ago um, and and so it's typically it's good to to get in earlier um, that correlates with higher yields very often um, as far as uh, you know through the summer I mean one of the reasons that does uh, tend to produce better yields is because you tend to get through um, more of the important stages in that crop's growth cycle um, before the real heat of the summer uh, can potentially damage it and reduce those yields. So uh, it, it is better to to be able to harvest it earlier. I don't know that we've seen um, much in the way of trends for harvest dates. Um, and there, there hasn't been too much of a trend in uh, actually the first frost uh, of the season, as opposed to the last frost in the spring, which has been coming a bit earlier. But, um, you know, otherwise, it, as I, I think I had mentioned uh, last time, uh, summers are getting hotter in most areas, which is, you know, increases the need to, uh, to plant earlier to avoid some of the worst heat. But a, a lot of the, the that increase in the temperature in the summer is coming from the overnight lows, um, which is a factor for for crops. Some crops more than others. Um, uh, you, you have to deal with both the uh, the intense heat of the day, but there's also important processes that occur at night, which require temperatures that are low enough to to facilitate them. So. 
um, yeah, I mean, this uh, this can be potentially damaging in another way. Um, part of it is due to uh, increased humidity levels, which is something that uh, I would keep an eye out for uh, this summer as, um, you know, increased soil moisture is going to do that. It's going to keep the temperature from cooling off too much at night. John, that, that was really interesting what you just said there about uh, about high soil moisture leading to higher than normal temperatures overnight um, as we move through the summer. Can can you educate our listeners a little bit on, you know, what, what kind of causes that phenomenon? That's that's one of the first times I've heard that. Yeah, well, there tends to be a, uh, a smaller temperature range between uh, the daytime high and the overnight low when you increase the humidity, which is a, a consequence of uh, the increased soil moisture. So if there's more moisture in the soil, there's there's just going to be more water always available to evaporate in the air, and that increases the humidity. So at night, um, uh, that's going to tend to create more um, low cloud cover, um, and also in the day. But at night, you have the uh, the Earth's surface is trying to radiate heat back um, into the atmosphere and out to space. That's how it cools. And so um, if you have increased uh, moisture and increased cloud cover, uh, that just serves as a uh, kind of a blanket on um, on the surface of the earth. It acts just like a greenhouse, of, and, uh, and I mean that's the greenhouse effect. So it's it's helping to trap the heat in there and and keep those overnight lows a little bit uh, a little bit warmer. It's it's got to be fascinating for you, John, as as somebody that that spends so much time studying weather patterns, kind of looking to the past to tell us about the future and and start to to narrow down on what may occur. You know, it, it seems like there's such a butterfly effect to the weather. Right? Things things that you would never even consider that that play into how the weather patterns emerge and, and how they change. Yeah, that, that's that's gotta make your job very challenging to to try to identify those those seemingly small things that take place in the environment that that end up having consequences further down the line. Yeah, I mean that's not so much my job, but that's what I respect about the people who are who are doing that kind of research because it it absolutely is um, a type of butterfly effect, and and that kind of goes into the seasonal forecasts because uh, you know when I say that we don't have really strong signals for uh, summer long term forecasting, what we do have is just the uh, what we call boundary conditions like the uh, the soil moisture, and we have um, uh, similar boundary conditions in different parts of the world that just happen to have a disproportionately large influence on the weather in this part of the country, um, places that you'd never think, uh, like uh, the tropical Pacific Ocean is a big one. What What's going on over there has actually a pretty big effect on, um, on what happens downstream in the Corn Belt, uh, and that's uh, that's what El Nino is, which is located primarily in the tropical Pacific. There, there are some other oscillations down there. Um, we look at the the sea surface temperatures in the Gulf of Mexico on the Atlantic Ocean, and that kind of um, that can have a downstream impact on on what happens um, to the weather here within a matter of weeks and even with a lag of months. So. That's what seasonal forecasting comes down to is um, just looking at these relatively weak um, forcings that can, by whatever physical process, physical mechanism, uh, eventually affect the, you know, the area you're interested in. 
So that's a great point. <laughs> well, hey, I, I know that you just detailed all the things that go into it, but I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. In my mind, it's still just you rubbing over the crystal ball and looking into it and telling us what's coming next, buddy. I mean, the result might end up being the same or even better if I did that. That's what's really sad. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, uh, appreciate you coming back and spending some time with us. I, I want to get you out of here on a fun one, John. So, you know, we've uh, we've been going through a bit of a quarantine, some stay-at-home orders for the past couple of months here. Those are being relaxed. Folks are starting to get back out into the world a little bit uh, while maintaining that social distance. What are you excited about being able to to get back out and do as, uh, as we start to get back out uh, into the wild? Oh, just, uh, just something normal, something summer, summer-like and normal. I just want to go and uh, have a beer on, on an outside patio, which I could probably do right now, but just you know, in a completely like pre-pandemic environment. <laughs> I've spent more time sitting out on the back porch with a cocktail in my hand over the past couple of weeks than I have in the entire time I've lived in this joint, buddy. I can totally relate to that. I know you've got uh, you've got a young baby as well. Have, have you spent as many hours as as my wife and I have with our kids, just walking around the neighborhood? This this is like the new entertainment. Yeah, I've I've been doing that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, you have to anyway with a with a small baby, but uh, it it definitely helps you get out get out of the house. It's good for everyone. Well, John, thanks again for joining us. Uh, our listeners love to get your insights, whether they come from science or a crystal ball. You know, if, if we're going to keep having you back, we're going to have to give you a nickname. So you're, you're, you just might have to be Weatherman John from now on, buddy. All right, that works. Hey, we'll uh, we'll get you back here right around harvest time to talk about uh, what's coming for the fall and uh, and give our listeners an update on uh, what you've observed and what uh, what the crystal ball says comes next. All right, looking forward to it. Hey, I want to give a special thanks to Weatherman John for joining us again uh, as we get into growing season. I'm sure we'll see him again as we head back to harvest. Also want to thank you, our listeners. We always appreciate you downloading and listening into the podcast. For our listeners who are also FieldView users, I know that this is a challenging season and you may need more support than normal. With that in mind, you can always get to our fantastic support team by calling us at 888-924-7475 or emailing us at support at climate.com. And for tips and tricks on how you can stay connected while remaining socially distant, you can also check out www.climate.com slash stay dash connected for those helpful hints. Don't miss any of our previous episodes. You can find Around the Farm on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If all else fails, you can always find us at climate.com slash podcast. As always, our best ideas come from you, so feel free to shoot those in on Twitter. You can find us at the at FieldView Twitter handle. And while you're giving feedback, we'll never turn down a five-star review. We appreciate you spending some time with us. It's been a blast, and as always, we'll see you around the farm.